0: Welcome to episode 71 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, discussing and examining the 75 Greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The Countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. We've got another first-time, but hopefully not last-time co-host joining me on this podcast, and those of you who have been following along have heard one of his podcasting partners already. When I saw several entries from the Fantastic Four on the list, I just had to invite both of these guys. So, welcome Andrew Leyland of the Fantasticast and more.
1: Hello Blaine, how are you? I'm doing well, yourself? Um, I'm still recovering from a a cold and a cough, so I'm a little bit croakier than normal, but I'm alright, I don't feel ill, so that's a good thing. Oh yeah, that's always a great big step. (laughs) Yeah, when you don't actually feel ill anymore. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, thank you for agreeing to come along. Oh, it's no problem. Still, it was it's great to have the Fantastic Cast guys discussing Fantastic Four and other topics. You guys put out one of the best
1: comic shows all, out there. Well, thank you very much. Stephen should get all the credit for that. I just show up. He does all the heavy lifting on Fantastic Cast. Uh, there's
0: pre-work and there's production that may be in Stephen's hands, but the quality of the conversations are on both of you. Well, thank you. All right, so this week we are discussing Fantastic Four issue 262, written by John Byrne, penciled by... John Byrne, inked by John Byrne. I sense a trend. (laughs) Uh, Colored by Glynis Wine or Oliver Wine. Lettered by Jim Novak. And edited by Michael Higgins in the Jim Shooter Editor-in-Chief era. Cover dated January 1984. Actual publication date October 18th, 1983. So this was an entry from a fairly unique era in Marvel's history. It was... One of the first kind of gimmick months, shall we say, for reasons that we will get into in March of 2016. (laughs) Yeah, there's more to come from Assistant Editor's Month. There is, yeah. This was a month that all of the main editors for Marvel Comics kind of got pulled out to their first major retreat to plan their first major crossover event. Well, or you could argue second, but it was their second miniseries, but the first time that they had plans that would impact other books directly in the course of it. And they left the books in the hands of the assistant editors, so a lot of books went interesting directions. Sadly, Aunt May as a Herald of Galactus did not make the list.
1: <laughs> oh, come on, that issue of Marvel team, it was great!
0: I know, it, it's a lot of fun, but people didn't vote for it, so... I
1: think my favourite was the issue of The Thing, which was 17-page story that was pretty straight-up and serious of Ben getting his Ass handed to him by some no mark villain that we've never seen again. And then the backup strip was was the thing going seeing John Byrne and saying, What's this, trite? This didn't happen. I punched this guy out in two panels, and John Byrne says to him, Well, I had to make it more interesting, so the thing stuffs him in a bin. It's a shame that I didn't make the list, because that's a fun comic.
0: Yeah, there's a few things that I'm surprised made the list, and a few things that I'm surprised didn't. Hmm. I'm quite happy that my choice for the number one story of all time, although it didn't make number one, did make the top five. Which is that? Well, we'll get to that when it comes.
1: Ah, T.O., right. you podcast teaser, you.
0: <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Got to keep, keep people some reason to stick around until May 2016. <laughs> all right, so we'll drop in a quick promo here for one of Andrew's shows. As I said, he's part of the Fantastic Cast as well as Hey Kids Comics. And then we'll start talking about this one in earnest.
1: Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to 2TrueFreaks.com. What was that again? 2TrueFreaks.com. Make hey, his comics, still every Thursday at 2TrueFreaks.com.
0: And we're back. All right, so one of the things we like to discuss is the significance of this issue in terms, you know, a lot of the issues made the list because they seem to be first appearance of character X or, you know, a major turning point in the lives of those characters, whether it's a wedding that I somehow don't remember anymore. It's weird. <laughs> It didn't happen. Huh. Funny that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In this one, we don't get any significant first appearances, uh, unless you count Mike Higgins, because John Byrne has already appeared in comics.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he was on the cover of an earlier issue of The Fantastic Four, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, and uh, there's even an issue of uh, X-Men, where he and Chris Claremont are arguing about what to do next when the X-Men show up right in front of them and just show them what to do. (laughs) I don't remember that one. Yeah, it was like one panel where... They didn't name each other. They're just in the corner arguing about, you know, no, I think this is going to happen. That's going to. And then the fight comes through and they watch it. So I guess it's like two panels. Right. But uh, it's also the first appearance of John Byrne's wife, I guess. Your ex-wife is the case. Yeah. So this is the trial of Reed Richards. In terms of significance, this is a story that's referred to again later. And it picks up on a story that happened earlier. So this is after the point in which Mr. Fantastic had saved the life of Galactus because he's an ancient of the cosmic consonants. And this issue just basically picks up on that and expands and picks up on the thread that, you know, if all these worlds out there that have been devastated by Galactus find out Galactus could have been destroyed and was saved, how would they react to that? And the reaction is to put Reed Richards on
1: trial where the penalty is death. I think that's the major significance of the issue. It's settling once and for all that Galactus has a purpose in the universe. And he's not good and he's not evil. He just kind of exists doing his own thing. But there's an ambiguity to that that's interesting. To do his own thing, Galactus has to wipe out entire planets. And arguing that maybe Reed should have let him die is the significance of the story. It's, it's finally set in. Burner's argued that after this, there is only one Galactus story left to tell. And that is the last Galactus story, which he started in Marvel Epic Comics, but never finished. And obviously that story would culminate in Galactus' death and whether somebody else would take on the mantle of Galactus. I can't remember. He's explained on his website what the ending would have been had he got to complete the story. It's an unusual one to be in the 75 greatest Marvel stories ever, because when I was reading it this morning for coming on and talking to you, in and of itself, it doesn't really work as a story. There is too much in it that relies on the past events, the three-part arc that you've mentioned where he does actually save Galactus, plus it builds on events that took place when the FF were in the negative Zone. And then this story itself has run for a couple of issues at this point, as well as crossing over tangentially into the Avengers. So as a story, as a single issue, it's a very unusual one to have on the list. And I wonder why that is. Why did people pick 262 and not pick the whole arc? Because this was collected into a trade paper back at some point in the 80s. It was heavily edited, like the... Pages that were subplots that were nothing to do with the Reed Richards Galactus story were just ripped out and edited out almost completely. But it flowed really well with those edits as a story. And I can't help but wonder maybe, had they voted for it in totality, that would have made more sense. This is very much like watching Return of the King having not seen the first two Lord of the Rings movies. It's It's the end of the story, but you've no build-up to it. It works as a single issue, But there's something lacking that you're only getting the end of it. But ultimately, that's the significance of it. Galactus' place in the universe is finally mentioned and solidified. And on the other hand, playing devil's advocate with myself, it's very nice to have an issue where there isn't a death and there isn't a birth and there isn't a marriage and it isn't the first appearance of Wolverine. Because let's be honest, that isn't a very good comic. This at least is a very good comic.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a a big part of what plays into it, because we didn't get the first appearances that a lot of the other ones do. And some of them, we've already discussed the first appearance of Deadpool and the overall quality of that Rob Liefeld (laughs) gem.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that wouldn't be on my list of 75 greatest anything.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but this, it is an enjoyable story. Now, you know you're missing something, but uh, the first time I read it, I was actually reading it off the DVD-ROM, And I had skipped ahead in the story just to read Assistant Editor's Month. Right. And then came back when I was reading the entirety of the Fantastic Four in sequence.
1: But that's another thing about this issue, reading it out of context as well. I bought all these off the stands. I started reading Burns' Fantastic Four very early on as we've run. I think, and memory works very strangely, but I think the first American issue that I picked up was Childhood's End. Which was the issue where Sue Storm comes home, Sue Storm, Sue Storm Richards comes home to find the Baxter building has been invaded by an unknown enemy, everyone's been wiped out, and during the course of the story, it turns out that it's Franklin, and his mutant powers have made him manifest as an adult. That was the first issue of Burns Run I bought, and I carried on reading it because I thought it was a lovely little science fiction story. And Sue was brilliant in it. For people that have grown up with Lee and Kirby, Sue, to actually have a Sue Storm Richards who basically solves the problem of the issue all on her own, was great. And even in this one, what was really notable about this one, again, taking it out of context, Sue is the de facto leader, whilst Reed isn't there. She's the one giving the orders. She's the one telling everyone what to do. And Johnny and Ben just accept it. Johnny and Ben defer to Sue. And that was really nice to see that Sue's taking on a very important role in this and not just becoming the quivering wreck that she did occasionally become in the Lee Kirby issues.
0: Yeah, her powers have developed well beyond hiding very well. <laughs> so she has her she's got the strength of personality that she deserves. They're still referring to as the invisible girl although that's not going to stick around for long.
1: No, that's an up, that's the upcoming Malice arc, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, she will be the invisible woman shortly. And that's something apparently John Byrne wanted to do early on in his run, but it took a while because he he felt there had to be a reason that she hasn't changed her name yet. Hmm. So the the longer they had waited before making that change, the more important the reason needed to be. Hmm. And that's why he did it with the Malice arc. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just in terms of how well the issue does stand alone, I, I think it actually holds up fairly well. Because like I said, the first time I read it, I hadn't read any of the stories leading up to it. I went from Lee Kirby to Assistant, well, my entire Fantastic Four history is the first Lee Kirby Essential, Mark Wade's 99 cent issue, and into the Mark Wade run from there the other Fantastic Four Essentials, and then I jumped ahead to everything in Assistant Editor's Month. And it's clear that there are other issues, not just because there's footnotes, but in terms of the important details of those stories for this story, all you really need to know is that Reed Richard saved the life of Galactus, and that is recapped here, you know, in time to, to matter.
1: Yeah, it's, it's recapped pretty well. I, I also, I mean, the cover's brilliant, first of all. Uh, the blood red makes it stand out a bit but it does kind of make all the faces blend into one but there's a lovely mixture of faces on there for the people that say Burns faces all look the same I mean I know he's drawn a number of aliens but every face on there is distinct whether it be an alien or a human or a scroll or Lelandra or the other members of the Fantastic Four or whatever and Reed being in colour and chained up is it's a lovely visual visually it's very interesting Especially the colour scheme, the background being blood red, the writing and logo being in white, and then Reed very much in shadows, despite wearing his blue and white Fantastic Four outfit. So the cover's very striking, before you start off on anything. Oh yeah. Had seven-year-old me
0: saw that on the rack across the room, I probably would have picked up this issue. Oh yeah,
1: because it's a fantastic cover. I can't help but think Assistant Editors Month kind of distracts a little bit from it. It's not as silly as some of the other Assistant Editors Month stories. But yeah. having John Byrne be there, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't take you out of the story so much because uh, the point is to bring you into it by putting somebody normal amidst this cosmic grandeur. It's supposed to be the gateway for the audience. I can't help but think maybe he should have resisted the assistant editor's month thing. Maybe it, to me
0: that there is a bit of a, a disadvantage and an advantage to that. I mean, the disadvantage is. It does pull me out of the story when you see the real people drawn as comic characters, even though, as I understand now, that has been an established conceit of the book ever since Lee and Kirby tried to show up at the wedding, Hmm. right? If not sooner, but it's been at least that long. What it does is allow a certain amount of shortcutted storytelling of having Reed already be at the trial when the story begins. So you don't have to try and show how these aliens show up and take Reed without the other team members resisting. Yeah. Right? You don't have to show the story of how he gets there voluntarily because you know the other three you know even if he says no no it's okay i should go i did this i need to stand trial you know they're not going to easily accept the idea of reed getting put on trial for his life so it eliminates the whole question of how did he get there how much resistance was there and that probably would have taken up more pages than we have for this introduction here
1: well reed's already gone missing earlier on in the book there's a couple of issues prior to this, I think. Didn't he go missing in the issue of the Avengers? I'm trying to remember how it worked out. I'm sure he was, he was in the Avengers doing something, and he went missing. Because it's not in this issue, so it must be in an earlier one. Sue goes to the Scarlet Witch in trying to find where Reed's gone to. Nobody knows where he is. And then she has an adventure with the Submariner, which crosses over into Alpha Flight. And then you finally get this issue with the Fantastic Four. So I'm, I think Reed just disappeared earlier on, and everyone's trying to find him. I can't quite remember the sequence, of it. it's something like that. I know there's a crossover with Alpha Flight around here somewhere, so that may be why they couldn't vote for the entire story, because there's too much cross-pollination with the rest of the Marvel Universe going on. It's possible, I don't know. It could be, yeah. Or we
0: get... Yeah, I'm just flipping back. Normally for these, I only read what actually showed up on the list.
1: Yeah, which is fair enough, because this is what was voted for.
0: Yeah, and I'm going through... Yeah, he's already gone in 260 and 261. 261 is the search for Reed Richards. And 260 is when they're working with Doctor Doom to fight against Terrax. So
1: in when Titans clash. Hmm. I can't remember. I th- I'm, I think he goes missing in the Avengers, but I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I read these. I do like that we get... Um. Oh God, what's her name? The, um, the automated robot who answers the Fantastic Four's messaging service. She has a name, and I can't remember what her name is. Oh, yeah. I can't for the life of me remember what she's called, but she's fantastic. There's a later issue where... Yeah, I where... Say Roberta. Yes, that sounds vaguely familiar. Robert, Robot, Roberta, of course. There's a later issue where she takes out Pace Pot Pete, who's trying to move in the Baxter building. She does it on her own. I think that's when they go to Secret Wars. But so she's great. It's nice to see her again. And Byrne brought back the Watcher as Kirby drew him with his huge baby head and tiny little body. And it looks like... In this one, certainly on uh, on page four, I think, three or four, page three, they're actually numbered. They've numbered the pages in the comic, thank you. It looks like he's using Kirby's technique of using photo collages for the pages where the Watcher spirits John Byrne off to the trial. I can't quite make out what they are, because on some of the Kirby ones, if you look at them, you can actually see what it is he's used. This just looks like a jumble of images, but it looks like a photo collage rather than art. And it's really well done. The colouring in this issue is really good as well.
0: Yeah. Well, that's Glynis Wine for you. She
1: was consistently great. Mm-hmm. Even with the limited colour palette that she had available to her, the double-page spread where you get the title of the comic, The Trial of Reed Richards, where you see the trial hall, is gorgeous.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, it establishes the mood
0: and the tone. Because she, not only does she have it filled in, but she's got it filled in with just a little bit of pale yellow. hmm Multiple shades of blue, multiple shades of green and purple. So she understands the shading and she's using it to, we see depth immediately added because the, the things in the front and the, the green objects in the rear, the shade of green gets lighter and lighter according to the depth of field. Mm. And they're the same structures. It's the same materials. Whereas like the blue, we could see the shading. And again, she's adding depth because there's certain faces of these blue arches There are different colors according to the way the light's reflected. So you're given the impression that if you were up there up close, you'd agree that all sides and all objects are the same colors. Mm -hmm. And she's just adding depth to the field and something like lighting effects simply by changing which shade of that color you're looking at.
1: And she's done a brilliant job with it. I love that splash patch. John Burns quite dismissive of Johnny Storm, isn't he? He is, which is (laughs) odd
0: considering... He said later that Johnny Storm is the character he most identified with.
1: Yeah, so when Johnny says we're dealing with something more important than a comic book story, and Burn's like, well, the watcher disagrees with you, kid. And then he just brushes him off to talk to Sue. I, mean, I wanted the next panel to be Johnny just lighting a flame finger and firing it at his ass.
0: Yeah. Although, to be fair, given the choice, I'd rather talk to Sue myself.
1: Well, yes, she is quite adorable in this issue. With her. She's got a long hair back. She had a haircut short for a while, I think. And uh, people didn't like it. As uh, you will know from Felicity, people don't like it when we cut the Her show. And Big Bang Theory more recently. So he's let Her grow out. And at the moment, she's just kind of got the flick and a ponytail. And she does actually look really nice. I like... Byrne did a really good job of making Johnny and Sue look like siblings. Right down to little subtle touches. Like, the Her flows the same way. Mm-hmm. You get the feeling that if Johnny grew his Her out, it would flick. The same way that Suze does. And it was little things like that that I always appreciated. They look like their brother and sister. Even though they don't look the spitting image of each other, there's little family things that he's put the effort into each of them. They've both got the same swooping eyebrows. That kind of thing. I, I like that. I thought that was a nice touch.
0: Yeah, as do I. And it's, well, there's John Byrne the man and there's John Byrne the comic creator there's very little negative I have to say about John Byrne, the comic creator.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know that I'd quite go that far. There are some, I think, Spider-Man Chapter 1 was not his greatest hour. Yeah, most of what I've read from him is from the 70s and
0: 80s, and that was his prime. Hmm. I mean, his his runs on X-Men, Alpha Flight, Iron Fist, and Fantastic Four, they, they deserve the reputations that they have. Yeah,
1: they do. And even when he was doing fill-in, Work, what he refers to as art robot, like on the Avengers and Indiana Jones. The first two issues of Indiana Jones they are spectacular. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his art is there. It's, uh, I think lately
0: he's gotten to the point where he's felt he no longer has the has need to listen to his editors or even have an outside editor other than himself. And there are very few creators who actually can do that, fewer than there are who think they can.
1: Yeah, I think everyone needs an impartial eye when they're working on stuff. I mean, one of the negative things I saw about this when I was looking it up just yesterday, when we finally settled on a time to record, there are some... I mean, I didn't get too deeply into it, so I don't know the full story behind it, but apparently this was a pissing match between him and Chris Clermont over the Galactus rule and the stuff with Princess Leandra and all of that stuff. And this was Byrne responding to that behind-the-scenes argument, for want of a better word. If you don't know that, and there's a part of me that wishes I didn't know that, because I didn't know that when I was 10, when I read this, I think this still works as a story. And I, more and more, I'm starting to be like, I don't want to know which creators didn't get on with which creators, because it does inform your, your impression of the work. And certainly, I think he'd get more into that, particularly when he got on with the Avengers, when he completely wiped out all of the development with Vision, which a lot of people didn't like. But certainly in this story, ignoring all of that, I didn't know any of that behind-the-scenes stuff, and I don't want to know it now. As a story in and of itself, this is addressing a very important point in the Marvel Universe, which is why have some of the big, all-powerful races like the Skrull and the Kree and whatever, why have they not just taken Galactus out, or at least attempted to? Yeah. Because the Skrull who comes here to give evidence talks about the destruction of the Skrull homeworld, and even gives Reed a minute where he thinks... Well, is he right? Did I do the wrong thing? There's eight, seven billion scrolls that are annihilated. Galactus just wiped out that planet. And if I hadn't done what I'd done, he would never do that again. And it's very similar to an episode of Doctor Who called Genesis of the Daleks, where the, the Doctor goes back in time and has the opportunity to wipe out the Daleks. And he, he pauses, because he's like, should one man have this power to wipe out an entire race? What about all the other races across the galaxy? that have put aside their differences to join together to fight this external mutual enemy. And there's, I love that, that one panel on page eight where Reed starts to doubt himself. And then he finally gets to the end of his little mind thought and he goes, no, I was right. I did the right thing. I believe I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's a great moment in the story. Reed's not just a two-dimensional good guy. He has a momentary flicker of doubt that what he did was the right thing to do. Yeah, and
0: I can see that because even if you're saying that Galactus is a natural part of the universe, well, you know, so is the asteroid in Armageddon. It doesn't mean I would have been rooting for Bruce Willis to not blow it up.
1: (laughs) And die in the process.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're talking Armageddon. I might have been rooting for it to land on some very specific characters, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, it is, there is still that question. Even if this entire sequence is completely and utterly ignored when Mark Millar and Brian Hitch take over we do establish here that Galactus is an important and necessary part of the Marvel Universe
1: yeah and I agree with Byrne to an extent that there is only so many times you can do Galactus comes to Earth to eat us there's only so many times you can do that story and I think what he was trying to do here was take Galactus off the table essentially without actually killing him so that you couldn't use him again But essentially, he's putting a full stop here under Galactus' story, with the exception of the last Galactus' story. Yeah.
0: And it it also, it it establishes a reason for Galactus to stay away from Earth. Beyond the fact that he's been turned away a few times, we know it seems tasty for him. So now he's got, having Reed save Galactus' life and then stand up and speak for him, it really does help establish that, you know, Galactus, he may still be hungry and Earth may still be convenient. But now I would buy it if he decides to wait for Reed Richards' measly normal mortal lifespan before he comes back.
1: Yeah, he may have just wait till Reed's dead, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'd never thought about that. That's excellent. But, well, that was... Yeah, there would have just been a missed opportunity for that during, I believe, the DeFalco era is the one where they, they believed Reed was dead for a while. Yeah, no one gets out alive. Yeah, I think that was issue 350 or so. Somewhere around
1: the... Doesn't the... The coloring again. Let's shout out Glynis Ween again, or Glynis Oliver Ween, or Glynis Oliver, whatever name she's going by at this point in history. The coloring on page nine, where Johnny Flames on in front of the Watcher, is magnificent. Yeah, especially in
0: contrast to the the Watcher in the two panels previously. Hmm. Even comparing them, we see that the Watcher's got before Johnny Flames on, he's got he's slightly shaded on the left side of his face. Hmm. During the flame on, he's entirely yellow, and then in the next panel where He hasn't flamed on and he's calmed down a little bit. The shading has shifted on the Watcher's head, even though the Watcher hasn't moved. That's how Mm. much light Johnny's producing. And then he just makes Johnny disappear with a poof. Yeah. Yeah, you need to go get a witness. And that's... Some we haven't gone through are the, the witnesses that come up. We see Odin show up in reference to the Lee Kirby era of Thor and relating the history of Galactus as was revealed in those issues as Galen, the Last survivor of planet ta I don't know how long to stretch that out it's t a a ta yeah, so you know Galen had survived the big Bang and the or the previous big crunch into the big Bang that launched our universe, and having done so, it transformed him and sort of reconfigured his physiology so setting aside the physical scale of the universe after the big Bang compared to the physical scale of Galen, you know it actually seems to work, and that's you know what turned Galactus into what he is and being there right from the beginning helps justify that, no, he's a fundamental ingredient in this
1: universe. He's got a role to play and always has. Mm. And it's nice that Odin recognizes that because there is a number of great Thor stories versus Galactus because one of the joys of the early Marvel Universe as was, was stuff like that. Galactus would show up in Thor. The Trapster would show up in Spider-Man. The only, I think, it was very few villains that didn't cross-pollinate. I think maybe the Green Goblin is the only one I can think of off the top of my head who in the early days didn't make an appearance in Fantastic Four or something like that. Sandman would regularly swap between the two, wouldn't he?
0: Yeah, most of Daredevil's villains stayed with Daredevil.
1: but There's probably a reason for that. <laughs> I can't imagine Stiltman giving Spider-Man too many problems.
0: No, I'm, I'm a huge Daredevil fan. He is my all-time favorite character. It took him 130 issues to get a good, <laughs> reusable villain.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I always had a soft spot for the Purple Man.
0: Yeah, if you go back and look at the way he was used initially, the Purple not Man's good. first appearance did not... The, yeah, the potential was there, but it, to really use the Purple Man well, you need to have that Max series story arc that Bendis and Malieve did. Mm. And the
1: more recent one that Mark Wade did was very good as well, with the Purple Man's kids, where they did basically visit Village of the Damned. Yep.
0: That Well, Mark Wade is excellent on everything he writes, as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So basically, Odin declares that Reed... It is completely innocent of all blame, and this trial should end. And I love Odin's arrogance, that because I say it should end, it should end. <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, and it it's not this trial should end, it's the actions of Reed Richards were in no way criminal, let this trial be at an end, so speaks Odin. <laughs> so he's not saying, you guys should decide to end this trial now, he's saying, nope, this trial's just over because I decided it's over.
1: <laughs> the Fantastic Four start celebrating because they're like, "Yeah, okay, Odin's called an end to it. For a play, we're off home." And it's like, "Well, wait a minute. There's there's higher powers here than Odin."
0: Yeah, and even the Landers pointing at these elliptical lights that are hanging, which are not all white yet, because that's the most perfect judicial system in the universe. Says these lights are monitoring everyone in the room. If they all turn white,
1: then the the person is innocent. Yeah, then Nova blows them up. The different Nova to the the one that you may be thinking of.
0: Yeah, not Richard Ryder. This is Frankie Ray.
1: Yeah, he was at the time Galactus' herald and one time girlfriend of Johnny Storm.
0: Yeah, it's I don't know. I do have questions about this perfect judgment system because <laughs> we we have conditions of innocence where even the accusers are convinced that you're not guilty, which is a tough sell. We don't have a guilt condition. When does the trial end if they're not found innocent? It doesn't. just goes on forever. Yeah. So that's, uh, I guess that is your punishment.
1: Yeah, that you're on trial forever.
0: Yeah, you stand there in shackles and chains, listening to this endless debate.
1: (laughs) I can't think of anything more boring, can you? No, it's a quite appropriate punishment. Yeah, more than anything. So, of course, Galactus actually shows up, and the page 17 is magnificent in its depiction of Galactus, who I think is stunning. I know he's silly. I don't care. I think he looks great. My only problem with this page is it establishes that all the different alien races see Galactus as whatever they see him as, as a different thing, basically. So does that mean that we see Galactus as the Fantastic Four saw him? Or did the entire Earth imagine that Galactus was this guy with the rather silly hat and purple shorts?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm also trying to... Figure out how that works, because they've had, I don't remember what they were, but they have have an established purpose for those, you know, the wings coming off the side of his head, for lack mm. of a better term. You know, they've talked about there is a purpose to this containment suit, and yet some of these versions don't have containment suits. No. Right? Even in this very issue, there's an assassin who's going to punch a hole in the containment suit and cause Galactus to basically self-destruct, because that is keeping him alive.
1: Yes, so some of the other visions have the ears, some of them it's just a splodge of red. Like in Star Trek when the alien was just flashing lights because that's all they could afford.
0: Yeah, and here, if you look on the uh, second one in the last row,
1: I mean, it looks like a ghost. Yeah, it just looks like a spectral image, doesn't it? The one above that to the left looks like Box from Alpha Flight. Yep. So uh, I didn't quite get how that worked. Sometimes you're better off not explaining this, aren't you? Sometimes you're better off just saying this is what Galactus looks like. Deal with it. Yeah,
0: I I do appreciate the fact that it he no longer would need to look as humanoid, which is one less coincidence for this universe. But they have established that Galen was very humanoid, hmm. so that's to me totally acceptable.
1: Yeah. So that that pet kind of I mean, it's lovely visually. It's a it's an absolutely wonderful picture of Galactus not terribly sure how that would work because it kind of implies that everybody sees him differently, not just every race, because as a race we're not a collective mind so no, I didn't quite understand that, I was hoping you could explain that to me but alright, fair enough Yeah, it it specifically
0: says each mind that views him struggles as best it can to perceive that unguessable force as an image it can comprehend
1: Hmm, so we all saw him as
0: this yeah, so what what Reed Richards sees is not necessarily what Sue sees, is not necessarily what Johnny sees, is not necessarily what Ben sees. Yeah. That doesn't really work, does it? No, not given that they have images in their database that they now agree on. Yeah. Don't bat an eye.
1: So hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think it would've worked better had it been more like the Vorlons in Babylon five where each race has its own interpretation, but this entire species sees it. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Lovely shot of lots of different aliens at the top of page 18, and they're doing that Burn trick of running across the panel border. Note that the bottom panel border is thicker, has a very thick black line. Apparently, Jim Shooter didn't like him doing this. He didn't like him just drawing people stood on the panel border. So this was Burn's way of getting around it to make it look like it was a plane or a floor or something like that. Yeah, which is, I mean, John Burn.
0: This is not the the first or last time that he's done little tricks to have things his way when he's been told he can't.
1: Mm. I mean, it's, a, it's an actual visual tool I quite like. And he has used it to great effect, not just in the Fantastic Four. If you look at his Superman work and X-Men and stuff, having them actually stood on the panel does sometimes work really well for what he's trying to show. And, you know, I, I can't help but think maybe that that is a, a silly artistic rule to have. Surely the only artistic rule you should have as an editor is, does your art tell the story? Saying you can't have people walk on panel borders seems a bit silly to me, but I'm not an artist, so what do I know?
0: Yeah, see, to me, having them walk on the panel borders, I never perceived them as walking on the panel. I perceived it as, oh, the camera's lined right into the plane of the floor, so the floor is not visible.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, it, and it's a very effective tool when he's used it properly. And like this, they're just all scurrying across... They're they're fleeing from Galactus. And some of those aliens are brilliant. I love that tortoise-octopus hybrid that's at the front of the panel. He's got a shell like a tortoise has, but he's got all the legs of an octopus scurrying across the floor. He does draw some pretty really cool aliens in this.
0: He does. It's somewhat like the Lalandra's High Council before Terry Austin decided to add Popeye to it, much to John Byrne's anger. I
1: think Terry Austin added Popeye to everything,
0: doesn't he? That was his idea. It was supposed to be the the meeting of the most important minds in the universe, so Popeye had to be there, and John Byrne was not happy with that.
1: Popeye is one of the most important minds in the
0: universe.
1: Yep. Okay, I'll go with that.
0: Yeah, but actually, yeah, this very next page is the page where we get the alien reinforcing that Galactus' containment suit is actually important, you know, right after we had a bunch of images of Galactus with no conceivable containment suit.
1: Yeah, because he's, he's he thinks his his weapon will cause a chain reaction, inside the armor and then he chickens out, doesn't he? Because <laughs> he's like, well, what if it doesn't work? What if Galactus just turns around and crushes me like a gnat <laughs> and he runs off? <laughs> I quite like that. I thought that was funny.
0: Yeah. Although I'm not sure, well, I guess if you're trying to kill Galactus, he may have decided he needs to kill him to avenge his race, but not really wanted to confront him because he doesn't think he can. So showing up at the tribe Galactus where you wouldn't really expect Galactus is an excuse where you could say, well, he might have shown up, right? You You wouldn't, expect galactus to appear as a witness in this trial Hmm. right so he can pretend he's trying to get revenge. because oh well maybe he'd have shown up but not really expected him and then his mind kind of finds the workaround that gets him out of there yeah but uh to just wrap up the plot synopsis this really ends when eternity shows up and also says yeah reed is right and we're looking at the the embodiment of the universe and i do like Mr. Fantastic's reaction to this. He's still not without a sense of wonder and curiosity when he sees something he's never seen before. You know, he might be used to seeing Galactus, but he really is genuinely astonished when he sees Eternity. Yeah. They're on page 20.
1: I can't remember if Fantastic Four have ever dealt with Eternity before. Because Reed says, Doctor Strange has told me of him, which kind of implies story-wise that they haven't. But yeah, Reed's an explorer. Reed's a scientist. So seeing somebody like Eternity would be endlessly fascinating to him. And Eternity's got such a wonderful design to him. Essentially, he's just a silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango? With um, the universe inside of him. And he's, he's got the vaguest outline of a face inside what looks like a huge helmet. I can't remember, was Eternity a Ditko creation? Because that collar looks like
0: Ditko. Yeah, Eternity was in my database right now. Yeah, he was rumored to be coming up in Strange Tales. Started hearing whispers of eternity in issue one thirty four. Still hasn't quite found him, but it was during the Ditko era of strange tales. There was a whole build up with the search for eternity, hmm. uh, and then he shows up again in Doctor Strange, Avengers one seventy three and one seventy seven. Uh, he shows that uh, this is his next appearance. So eternity hadn't been used very much at all. He'd gone right from the Doctor Strange to a couple issues seventy three and seventy seven for nineteen seventy eight to here.
1: Right, so he's not been around for a while. No. I know very little about Eternity. I, I think the only Doctor Strange stuff I've read is, I've read Ditko's stuff in the Masterworks, and then I skip straight over to Roger Stern and Paul Smith's run, and that's pretty much it. That's the extent of my Doctor Strange knowledge. Yeah, I've got the first four essentials, and you've hit the
0: highlights. <laughs> Apparently Englehart's run's good, but I've never actually read any of it. It is. That would be the, the next I'd put in line to line up there, if you really want a good Doctor Strange story, look for uh, Brian K. Vaughan's and Marcos Martin's Doctor Strange The Oath.
1: I've got that as a hardcover graphic novel from a, a selection set that came out. But again, I've never actually got around to reading it, so I'll, I'll read that. Because I like Marcos Martin a lot.
0: Yeah, and that is that is one of the better ones. It's uh, It seems like one of the purposes was to try to overcome Editor-in-Chief at the time, Joe Quesada's objection to the magic, which is there are no rules. So it establishes rules, tells a great story about the choices Doctor Strange can make, especially related to Wong. Hmm. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail. And I believe that's also the one that brings uh, Linda Carter Night Nurse back into an active character. Right, not Linda
1: Carter Wonder Woman.
0: No. (laughs) Linda Carter Student Nurse was running, well, before Linda Carter the actress was known at all, because... Linda Carter, student nurse, had about eight or nine issues before it was cancelled to make room for Amazing Spider-Man, and then came back as four issues in 1970 or 71 as Night Nurse.
1: Doesn't doesn't she play a part in, in Bendis' alias as well? Isn't she in that?
0: Not in alias, but she does show up in his Daredevil and Avengers
1: runs. Right, I'm mixing them up. I do remember her interacting with either Jessica Jones or Matt Murdock, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I think she did interact with both. I think... I think she shows up during uh, the period of of Bendis' Daredevil when Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Danny Rand are all regular cast members. Right. And it's with the same artist that he had on Alias. So, yeah, it's easy to get the two conflated in your mind. Hmm, Especially when you read them close
1: together like I did.
0: Yeah, and they were plotted pretty tightly together as well. I think they were even being published at the same time at that point.
1: Page 21 is another one of those headshots of lots of different alien races and the Fantastic Four just looking stunned by what's going on as Eternity shows up. It's another great page art-wise. And again, let's uh, give Glennis Ween all the credit in the world for the colouring being gorgeous, especially on the background. Yeah, and
0: keeping the background and faces utterly distinct, there's never any question about which is which. Now, that some of that could be you know, the way it was penciled and inked, so every face has a bit of a white aura around it. But we've Mm. got the four members of the Fantastic Four, we've got John Byrne, who looks even more concerned than the rest, because he's drawn himself as not being used to this stuff, whereas the others are more accustomed to it. So he seems to be a little more surprised than the Fantastic Four or Calark or Lalandra there. Sorry, Calark. The Daredevil fan of me, I refer to the different gladiators as either Calark or Melvin Potter, so they don't get confused.
1: (laughs) Yes, because the gladiator
0: is... um... Marvel's Superman, really, isn't he? Really, yeah, the, the Strontian leader of the Imperial Guard, sometimes Praetor of the Shiar Empire. But, yeah, very much. mean His guest spot in Fantastic Four, before Byrne was brought over for Man of Steel, it's very clear how closely tied to Superman he is. Yeah,
1: and he, he revisited that Fantastic Four cover, didn't he, as a cover for Superman? Yep. And you can paste them both together, and it looks like Superman's taken out the FF, which is quite interesting. Yeah, that to me, that, that Calark guest spot, it reads like John
0: Byrne heard, it, heard rumors that DC was ready to reboot, and that was sort of
1: his job application for the Superman job. Hmm. And it got him the gig, so. Yep. And uh, we just end then, don't we? John Byrne's back at his drawing board explaining the plot to Mike Higgins. Mike Higgins was only editor of FF for about five minutes, so. yeah. And the Watcher gives him that old Star Trek thing that, oh, no one will remember. It's all too much for mankind to contain that knowledge. Your, your brains are too puny. Yeah,
0: and then we have the last panels. The only time in here that the art actually bothers me when mm. the Watcher's face is scrunched in the middle of this very wide panel and it's, his face has not been that small and that large a head for a long time and at no other point in this issue that the way his head has been drawn, we should see the sides of his head.
1: Yeah, it just looks like his. It just looks like his face has been stretched out over the entire panel, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: Moisturise me.
1: Yeah, moisturise me. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. And it's yeah, I I agree with you completely. And the fact that he's got no, I mean, he doesn't have eyeballs as it is, but the fact that his eyes are completely black, it just makes him look menacing. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't quite
0: work out. I think they're going for. I, I think he's going for ominous, right? Galactus will go on the testing will continue until that distant day when he finds a world with power enough to stop him to end for all time his cosmic hunter, hunger. Well, he found that planet. They let him go, and you just watched the trial where they said that was a good thing. <laughs> and then on that day, Galactus shall perish. On that day, let the universe mourn.
1: So he is setting up, though, that there's, there are very few Galactus stories left to tell, isn't he? Yeah,
0: although Mark Wade did find one.
1: Yes. Well, I think there was a couple of Galactus stories after this. I can't remember any of new other than the Mark Wade one.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's the most memorable one, and then there's Millar and Hitch where they killed him, and then there was absolutely no fallout of the fact that they just killed his essential agent of Cosmic Consonance, which is something that, by the time that run came out, I had read every issue of Fantastic Four to date, and I don't want to get too off topic here, but suffice it to say, I believe Mark Miller is a huge Fantastic Four fan. What he loves about the Fantastic Four is not what I love about the Fantastic Four.
1: Um, I don't think he's a big Fantastic Four fan based on what I read. And I didn't read all of it. I kind of gave up before he did. Yeah, it's I, I don't know
0: that I'll ever drop the Fantastic Four. I made it through all 16 issues of that. But it's. he says he's a huge fan and he talks about what he loves about it and the fact that it's big concepts. And they're going new places and they're going... The, the way he sees it, I could see why he thought he was writing that kind of story, but... Yeah, there's so many elements of the Fantastic Four, I love that he didn't touch at all. All Alright, so in terms of this, I think the only thing we have left is, are there any deeper meanings to this, right? That's a bit of this podcast that I essentially stole from Mission
1: Log. Well, if you're going to steal from anyone, Mission Log's a good place to steal from. Yeah, they do good work. They do. I love Mission Log, and it's a great show. So are there any deeper meanings, are there any
0: morals or messages that come across in this story as well? bad things
1: happen to good people and there's nothing you can do about it.
0: Yeah, That's the
1: moral of Galactus,
0: isn't it? It really is. It's very much don't judge others, you're not them. You don't necessarily know what's going on. Yeah. So we get that and then the question, why do we think it landed at this particular point in the tournament, specifically spot 71 out of 75?
1: I don't know, because I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I think there are better issues of John Byrne's run to put in here. Certainly the other one that's in here is Hero. But that is kind of marred by being a Secret Wars 2 crossover. But it's, it's a better single-issue story than this one. Mm-hmm. I think it, the fact that Galactus's position in the universe is solidified in this issue is probably what gives it its, its resonance, and it's well-remembered by people of a certain age, of which I am one. That were ten years old when this first came out. And Burns Fantastic Four was the first boot we read. From the stack of comics that we brought home. I think that the first Galactus story that he did was better than this one. In terms of a single issue. I think Terror in a Tiny Town is a better single issue than this. The fight with Galactus from uh, Galactus. Gladiator from 249 is a better single issue than this. I, I think the Malice arc is probably more memorable than this is. I don't. I don't really have any great profound insight as to why this one was picked as a single issue. I I, I couldn't tell you. I wouldn't have picked it as a a John Byrne pick, but, I mean, it is good, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think his art's brilliant in this one. He's not got that thick, heavy line to his inking that he sometimes has, and some of the the background work is very detailed in places, and there's nothing in other places but that because there's a lot of word balloons. And Glynis Oliver's Ween's colouring's brilliant. As a single issue, I don't know. I honestly don't know why it's
0: there. Yeah, as you're saying, it is enjoyable, but is it this enjoyable? Like, Yeah. I mean, like you said, there are better single issues of the run. Part of me is wondering, do people remember it more fondly if they're reading more of the line? At Come Assistant Editor's Month, this is the one book that felt like it was still on track for the big plan.
1: Yeah, there's there's no... I mean, I don't know, because it was Assistant Editor's Month where we got the kid who collected Spider-Man, so there was not really a lot of silliness to the Spider-Man Assistant Editor's Month. I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest with you, but I don't know. I honestly don't know why this is there. It's, I don't know that I'd put this in the 75th, 75 greatest stories ever told, but I wouldn't put Civil War in there, so what do I know?
0: Yeah, and it was the, the kid who collects Spider-Man. That was the Assistant Editor's Month of Spider-Man.
1: See, so that is an un- undisputed classic. I I assume that that is on the list. It is. Good. There it is, uh, number 17. Right, so yeah, that's, that's pretty high up. I can live with that. I think that's where it should be. I don't know, honestly. I think Hero deserves to be on here, which it is, even though it's a Secret Wars 2 crossover. But I think there are better burn issues of the Fantastic Four than this one, as single-issue stories.
0: Yeah, I think there's also better non-burn issues of the Fantastic Four. I could point to... A couple Wade Waringo issues.
1: Yep, yeah, particularly the one you've mentioned, the nine cent one.
0: Yeah, that nine cent issue. That is a, a great kickoff. That should. I'd like to see the Fantastic Four return to TV as an an animated half hour format, and that be the pilot.
1: Yeah, the drawn in the style of Mike Moringa, Wink- who was genius. He was fantastic. Yeah, we lost him far too early.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the early issues of Jonathan Hickman's run, or the end of Jonathan Hickman's run. A lot of that, even though he was doing like kind of, sort of, one-shots, those one-shots are definitely pieces of a bigger puzzle. But his overall run I really enjoyed.
1: Fantastic Four Annual Number 1? Yeah. I don't think makes the list, does it? No. No, there's not that many entries of the Fantastic Four. I think Fantastic Four Annual Number 1 is better than this, and certainly has a more historical place in the Marvel Universe. So yeah, I don't know. I can only assume that the age of the people voting on this skews to be my age and younger. Certainly for Civil War to be in there. It certainly implies a younger readership than me, but...
0: Yeah, what we have discussed in the past is it does appear as though a number of the people who are voting, just for some of where some of these which stories are showing up, where they're landing, I think the recent spate of Marvel movies has brought in new readers. Hmm. We seem to have a disproportionate representation of Marvel event books from that era. Prior to that, the events we have, we basically have Secret Wars and Infinity Gauntlet. But then post that, we've got House of M, we've got Civil War, we've got Annihilation, you know, we've got Secret Invasion, we've got Avengers vs. X-Men, or AVX. Yeah. There's a lot of these that have been
1: showing up. Planet Hulk! Planet Hulk's in there. I think World War Hulk's better than Planet Hulk. Yeah. Right, yeah, because I've found a list, i found your list, I'm just scrolling through it. Yeah, it does seem to skew. It is the memorable issues... Like we said, you know, the first appearance of Wolverine is not a great comic. And the the more recent events. So you do look like you're skewing towards it being the age range, being the people that were reading this when it came out as a kid in the 80s, and the, the Marvel movie people. Yep. But
0: uh, yeah, as far as the Fantastic Four representation, there's today's issue, there's Hero, which Andrew has already mentioned, is coming up at, in slot number 40. We've got the Galactus Trilogy at spot 23. And Fantastic Four number one takes spot 14. Yeah, I'm very surprised annual number one's not on here. I really am. Yeah, annuals one and three, I think, right? Because the Fantastic Four annual number three, wasn't that Bedlam at the Baxter building?
1: Oh, yes, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and the marriage.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, very surprising. Yeah, that birth of Franklin, I think, has a place... You could argue for the birth of Franklin as the first time these characters actually, you know, established as a family and move forward, right? They have a kid, and that kid is still a rather significant part of the Fantastic Four story.
1: Yeah. Do you know what would be an interesting idea? As podcasters, we should all get together and do our own top 75 stories and see what kind of crossover there is. Oh, World War Hulk is in. Yeah. I think that would be an interesting show. Well, we'll see how
0: insanely stressed I am when I get to the run of these (laughs) 75. (laughs) When all this is done. Yeah. Because I will admit, it's going to take time. My math from Scratch series may not be back until this is done, quite frankly.
1: (laughs) It's a good idea for a show, though. Well
0: done. Yeah, I'd quite like it, but having this many guest stars is turning out to be more overhead than I expected. (laughs) All right, so I I don't know if you had any final thoughts on Fantastic Four
1: 262? Uh, It's a good issue. It's a good culmination of the Galactus story that he has been running for a while. It's structured completely different to how stories are structured nowadays which is why I'm I'm a little bit confused as to why this one issue was picked, rather than, say, the three that preceded it, the search for Reed Richards and Reed disappearing, and, like I say, maybe just crossing over into Avengers and Alpha Flight was too, too much for them, so they just picked this one issue. It does seem like an odd burn issue to pick. Like I say, I think Terry in a Tiny Town is better than this. And like you said, there are better issues of the Fantastic Four to pick. So, it's an odd one. I'm not going to say it doesn't deserve to be here, Because it's nice to have a story in this list that does seem to have been picked on merits and fond memories rather than somebody died in this issue or somebody made the first appearance in this issue, which seemed to get voted for irrespective of the quality. And again, you can argue the quality of the first appearance of Wolverine, the first appearance of the Punisher, all of that stuff. So it's nice to have an issue in there that does seem to have been picked for honest reasons. And I don't think we're going to argue the quality of the first appearance of Wolverine.
0: It wasn't good.
1: No. So see, that's there because of there are better Wolverine stories than that one. So it's nice to have it in there because it does appear to have been have got there on merit rather than importance. So for that alone, it deserves to be in the list. Purple. We'll we'll give it its due.
0: Yeah, I would say I'm not going to recommend avoiding it. it this is a, a good issue and well worth reading. I would just say rather than seeking this out in isolation look for the John Byrne Fantastic Four collections Yeah, and do it that way, because he did have a great run. So I, there are those who will strongly advocate that the John Byrne run is the greatest ever run of the Fantastic Four. I am not personally one of them, but I have read every issue, and it is one of the higher
1: runs. Oh, yeah, I, I think it's up, though, with the best of Lee Kirby and the Wired Waringo stuff, but that's largely because this is what I grew up reading this was the Fantastic Four that was on the newsagent stands when I was buying comics as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, This I didn't
0: start reading the Fantastic Four until, well, fairly late. I think I when I was originally collecting in junior high and high school, I think the only issue of the Fantastic Four I read was the one where the New Warriors crossed over. Right. Just because I was the New Warriors fan. And then from there, it was actually Mark Wade's Nine Cent issue after I, I was actually working on my second physics degree when that came out. And I remember reading it going, oh my God, someone knows how to write a physicist. And that just had me sold. So the, for me, the Way Do I Ringer run is the run. Hmm. Uh, having read them all, Lee Kirby's next, and I think I would put Hickman one notch above Burn.
1: See, I never got into the Jonathan Hickman stuff. I have a lot of people who I like and respect telling me that it's one of the greatest runs ever. I just could not get into it, for whatever reason. Maybe I just wasn't in the mood at the time I was trying to read it. Maybe I should read it as a collection rather than single monthly issues, but... Jonathan Hickman stuff just didn't float my boat at the time that I was trying to read it. Yeah, that's where I am with Hickman's Avengers right now. I've,
0: uh, I've still been picking them up. I've got them all, but I'm about three months behind in reading because I just haven't prioritized it. All right, so Andrew, thank you for agreeing to be part of this and joining me for the podcast. No problem at all. Thank you for inviting me. Listeners at home, if you want to follow along, our next podcast is the Daredevil Man Without Fear miniseries by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr.
1: Oh, that's a good one.
0: It is. It has been collected in trade paperback and hardcover collections, and it can also be found on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. So give it a read if you can track it down, and join us next week. Thank you for listening.